Section 7 of Amadis of Gaul by Vasco de Libera, translated by Robert Salvi. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Book 1, Chapters 14, 15, and 16. Amadis of Gaul, recording by Amy Graymore. Chapter 14. How Amadis came to the castle of Darden the Proud, and of the words which he had with him and of the battle which he had with him in the court of King Lisuarte. Amadis, after he had left Medaganda, rode on through the forest till he was benighted. After some time he saw a light above the trees, and rode toward it, thinking to find a lodging. He came at length to a goodly fortress, wherein were the lights that he had seen, which were from the window of a tower, and he heard the voices of men and women singing and making mirth. He called at the gate, but they heard him not. At last those in the tower saw him through the battlements, and a knight asked who was there. A strange knight. So it seems, quoth he, you must be a strange knight to go about in the dark. I believe it is for fear lest you should be obliged to do battle with us by daylight. And now you can meet none but the devils. Amadis answered, If you were good for anything, you would know that many are benighted who cannot help it. Be gone, quoth the knight. You shall not enter here. As God shall help me, said Amadis, I think thou hast no man of valour in thy company. Tell me thy name before we part. That shall I do on condition that, whensoever we meet, thou wilt fight me. To that Amadis, who was in wrath, readily assented. Know then that my name is Darden, and badly as thou wilt fare this night, thou wilt fare much worse the day that I shall meet thee. Come out, quoth Amadis, and let them light us by those torches to do battle. What? said Darden. Arm myself at this hour to fight with thee? Ill fall the knight who should put on his spurs and harness with such an enemy. And with that he went in. Amadis proceeded through the forest, seeking some bush under which he might shelter himself. Presently he heard voices, and proceeding faster he came up to two damsels on their palfreys, attended by a squire. They saluted courteously, and Amadis recounted his adventure. Know you the knight's name? said they. He told me it was Darden. True, he is called Darden the Proud, the haughtiest knight in this country. But, sir, seeing that you are so unprovided of lodging, will you abide this night in our tents, which are pitched near at hand? He, glad of their courtesy, rode with them, and having there alighted, he unarmed, and when the damsel saw how fair he was, they delighted to see him. So they supped cheerfully together, and a tent was spread for him wherein he should sleep. Meantime, they asked him whither he was bound. To the court of King Lisuarte. And we are going there also, to see what will happen to a lady, one of the best and noblest in the land. All that she hath in the world is put upon the issue of a combat, which is to be performed within ten days before King Lisuarte. But we know not who will appear to defend her, for he against whom her champion must fight is the best knight in Great Britain, that very Darden the Proud, whom you so lately left. And on what cause, said Amadis, ariseth the combat? This Darden loveth the daughter of a knight, who at his second nuptials married the lady I speak of. Now hath this damsel conceived such hatred against her stepmother, that she hath vowed never to love Darden, unless he bring her to King Lisuarte's court, and affirm that all her stepmother's goods appertain to her, and maintain it by battle against whomsoever dare gainsay. And the dame, who was not well advised, said she would produce a champion, and this she did for her manifest right, thinking that one would be found to combat for her. But Darden is so good a knight in arms, that be it for right or wrong, all fear him. These tidings rejoiced Amadis, for the knight was against all pride, 
and now might he indulge his own anger in a just cause, and that in the presence of Oriana. I pray you, sir, said one of the damsels, for courtesy acquaint with us the reason of your sudden musing. Willingly, if you will promise me, as loyal damsels, not to reveal it. I mean, quoth he, to combat for the lady. Gentle sir, that thought proceedeth from a high resolved mind. God granted a good issue. So gave they each to the other the good night, and went to rest. In the morning the damsels entreated that he would not leave them, seeing they were bound to one place, and that in the forest kept men of evil behavior. They rode along with sundry discoursings, and among other talk they asked the knight, since God had placed them in company, that he would tell them his name, the which he did, but charged them to let none know it. So they proceeded through unfrequented ways, lodging in their tents and regaling on the food they took with them. At length they saw two knights under a tree, armed and on horseback, who, seeing them, placed themselves in the way, the one saying to his companion, Which of these damsels will you have? This, quoth he, and seized the one as his comrade did the other. What, sirs, quoth Amadis, what manner of behaviour is this? What would ye do with the damsels? Make them our mistresses. So lightly think ye to win them, said he, and took his helm and shield and lance. Now release them. The one knight met him bravely and broke his lance. But Amadis gave him such an attaint that he lay with his heels upwards. The second came on and pierced through his arms and slightly wounded Amadis. He on his part failed with his lance, but shields and horses met, and Amadis seized him and plucked him from the saddle, and dashed him down, and then rode on with the damsels. When at length they came near Windsor, Amadis said, Fair friends, I would remain in secret here till such time as the knight come to the combat, and when the hour is, let your squire bring me hither tidings thereof. Sir, quoth the damsel, if it please you, we will remain with you. So they pitched their tents apart from the road by the riverside. Meanwhile, Amadis went upon a little eminence to look at the town, and there he sate under a tree, and looked toward the towers and the high walls, and said in his heart, Ah, God, the flower of the world is there. And thou, city, containest now the lady that hath no peer for goodness and beauty, and who is more loved than all others that are loved, and that would I prove upon the best knight in the world. And in these thoughts the tears trilled down his cheeks, and he sat heedless of everything about him. But Gandalin, who saw a troop of knights and ladies coming up, called to him, and asked if he did not see that company. He neither heard nor answered. With that Gandalin took him by the arm. So help me, God, sir, you afflict yourself more than need is. Take courage, as you do in other things. Ah, Gandalin, quoth he, you had better counsel me to die than to endure this hopeless sorrow. Then could not the squire refrain from lamenting. This excessive love is a great misfortune. As God shall help me, I do not think there is any one, how good and beautiful soever she may be, who can equal your worth or whom you might not have. At this was Amadis greatly enraged. Go, idiot, said he, how dare you talk so madly? If ever you again repeat such thoughts, you shall go no farther with me. Dry your eyes, said Gandalin, and let not them who are coming see you thus. It was the lady coming to her trial, weeping and lamenting as she went, for there was none to defend her right. On the day of the trial the damsels rose at dawn, and told Amadis that they would go before to the town, and send him word when it was time to appear. He rode with them to the edge of the forest, and there awaited. By this it was sunrise, and King Lisuare, with a goodly company, went out to the field which was between the city and the forest. And there came Darden, well armed and on a fair courser, leading the bridle of his lady, who was as richly adorned as she could be. And thus they stopped before King Lisuare 
and Darden said, Sir, command that this lady have that which is her own delivered to her. Or if there be a knight to gainsay it, I am ready to combat him. Lisuarte then called the dame, and asked her if she was provided with a champion. She answered no, and wept, and the king greatly pitied her, for she was a virtuous lady. So Darden entered the lists to remain there till the hour of terrace. By which time, if no champion appeared, the king was to pronounce judgment in his favor, according to the custom. Then one of the damsels hastened to call Amadis, and he took his arms and told the damsels and Gandalin that if he sped well he would return to them in the tents, and with that he rode on, on his white courser. When the king saw the knight approach, how firmly he rode, in his arms how fair they were, in his horse how goodly a one, he marvelled who he might be, and he asked the dame, who was brought to trial, if she knew the knight who came to defend her cause. I never saw him before, quoth she, nor know I who he is. By this Amadis entered the lists and rode up to his enemy. Darden, defend your lady's cause, as I shall maintain and acquit the promise which I made thee. And what didst thou promise me, quoth Darden? To fight thee, and that was when thou toldest me thy name, and hadst dealt with me villainously. I make the less account of thee now, said Darden. And I, said Amadis, care less for thy words, for I am about to have vengeance. Let the dame, then, replied Darden, accept thee for her champion, and avenge thyself if thou canst. The king then came up. The dame was asked if she would admit the knight for her defender. She replied, Yes, and God reward him. Lisuarte saw that the shield of Amadis was pierced in many places, and that the rim had many sword cuts. And he said, If the knight demanded another shield, he could lawfully give him one. But Amadis was in no temper for delay, for he remembered the insults he had received. They ran their course. Both lances pierced through shield and armor and shivered, but without wounding. Their horses and shields met, and Darden was thrown, but he held the rein fast, and sprung readily upon the horse again, and drew his sword, and they attacked each other so fiercely that all who beheld them were astonished. The townspeople were on the towers and on the wall, and wherever else they could see the combat, and the windows of the queen's palace, which were above the wall, were full of dames and damsels, all marvelling at the valour of the combatants, for the fire flew from their helmets as if they were all ablaze, and plates and splinters fell on all sides from their shields and mail, and neither a whit abated of his courage. King Lisuarte had been himself in many a hard conflict, and seen many a one, but all appeared nothing to this. This is the bravest combat, said he, that ever man hath seen, and I will have the conqueror's image placed over my palace gate, that all who are desirous to gain honour may behold it. But before the hour of terse, it was evident that Darden's force failed. Though Amadis was nothing abated of his strength, only his horse was faint, and Darden's also stumbled. And he, thinking to have the advantage on foot, said to Amadis, Knight, our horses fail us for fatigue. If we were on foot, I should soon conquer thee. This he said so loud that the king and all with him could hear. And Amadis, somewhat ashamed at the threat, answered, Alight then, though a knight should never leave his horse while he can sit on it. Then alighting, they both took what of their shields remained, and assailed each other more fiercely than before. But Amadis now pressed on him, and Darden retreated and staggered, and sometimes bent his knees, so that all the beholders said he had committed a great folly in proposing to fight on foot. And he, still giving back from the sword of Amadis, came under the queen's window, and there was a cry there, Holy Mary, Darden is slain! And Amadis heard among them the voice of the damsel of Denmark. Then he looked up and saw his lady Oriana at the window, and the damsel by her, 
that sight so overcame him that the sword hung loose in his hand, and he continued looking up regardless of his situation. Darden, recovering by this respite, noticed his confusion and took heart again, and lifting the sword with both hands smote him on the helmet so that it was twisted on his head. Amadis did not return the blow, he only placed his helmet right again, and with that Darden laid on him at all parts, and he feebly defended himself, and Darden's courage increased. Then cried the damsel of Denmark, in an ill minute did that knight look up and see one here who made him forget himself when his enemy was at the point of death. Certes, such a knight ought not to fail in such a time. At these words Amadis had such shame that willingly would he have been dead, lest his lady should suspect there was any cowardice in him. And he struck a blow at Darden that brought him down, and plucked his helmet off, and held the sword to his face. Darden, you are dead unless you yield the cause. Mercy, knight, quoth he, and I yield it. Then the king came up, but Amadis, for the shame of what had befallen him, would make no tarriance, but sprung to his horse and rode the fastest that he could into the forest. The mistress of Darden, who saw him so rudely handled, came up to him now and said, Seek now, Darden, some other mistress, for I will neither love thee nor any other than that good knight who overcame thee. What? said Darden. Have I been so wounded and conquered in your quarrel, and now you forsake me for the very enemy? God, thou art a right woman to say this, and I will give thee thy reward. And he took his sword, and in a moment smote her head from her body. Then after a minute's thought he cried, Ah, wretch, I have slain the thing in the world that I loved best. And he ran himself through before any one could stop his hand. In the uproar that this occasioned, none thought of following Amadis. And though Darden was so brave a knight, yet most who were present now rejoiced at his death, for his strength had always been unjustly and tyrannically employed. End of chapter 14 Chapter 15 Of the funeral which King Lisuati gave Darden and his mistress, and what Amadis did meanwhile. King Lisuati then commanded two monuments to be placed upon lions of stone there, in the place where the battle was fought, and Darden and his mistress were interred therein. And their names were inscribed on the monument, and all that had been chanced, and afterwards when the king knew the name of the conqueror, that also was written there. But now the rumor being appeased, Zwadi asked where was the stranger. None could give tidings of him, save only that he had ridden full speed toward the forest. Well were he, quoth the king, who should have such a man in his company. For strong as he is, he is right gentle. Ye all heard the insolence of Darden, yet he would not slay him when he was in his power, though Darden would have shown no mercy if the conquest had been his. Amadis, meantime, had entered the forest, it was late when he reached the tents, where he found Gandalin and the damsels who had made their meal ready. And when the clothes were removed, he took Gandalin apart, and bade him go to the town and secretly speak with the damsel of Denmark, and learn from her how he should proceed. Gandalin, that he might go more privately, went on foot, and entering the town made toward the palace, where he had not awaited long when he saw the damsel, who was watchful for him. "'Follow me,' said she. And if you are questioned, say you bring a message from this Queen of Scotland to Odiana, in that you are come to join Amadis in this country. For so shall you appear in his company without suspicion. They then entered the Queen's palace, where Odiana then was, to whom the damsel came, and speaking somewhat loud, said, Here is a squire sent to you from the Queen of Scotland. Odiana rejoiced thereat, but greater was her joy when she saw it was Gandalin, who knelt before her and said, Madam, the queen salutes you as one who loves and prizes you, in whom your welfare will make glad. 
May the queen have a fair fortune, replied Odiana. I thank her kindness. Come with me to this window and tell me the rest. Then they retired, and she made him sit by her and asked him, Friend, where did you leave your master? In the forest whither he went after the battle. Tell me how he fareth, so may God prosper you. Even so, quoth Gandalin, as the man that is altogether yours and dies for you, and his soul suffers so as never knight endured. And then he wept. Lady, he will not break your command for good nor for ill that may befall him. For God's sake, have compassion on him, for if he lives, he will be the best knight that ever bore arms. But good fortune failed him when he saw you, and he will die before his time. And better had he died on the sea, where he was thrown before his parents knew him, for now they see him perish and can give him no relief. Oriana wept, and clasping her hands and interlacing her fingers one with the other, she cried, For God's sake, Gandalin, say no more. You blame me, because you know his feelings and do not know mine. She then showed him the garden under the window. Go to your master, and tell him to come secretly to-night into this garden. The chamber wherein I and Mabilia sleep is underneath this, and it has a grated window near the ground. There can we speak to each other, for Mabilia knows my heart. And she took a ring from her finger, and bade him give it to Amadis, as the jewel which she most prized. Then she called Mabilia to see the squire who brought tidings from her mother, and Mabilia, seeing Gandalin, understood how it was. Oriana went to the queen, who asked her when the squire would return, for she would send presents by him to the queen of Scotland. He is come, said the princess, to seek for Amadis, son of the king of Gaul, the good knight of whom there is so much talk. He saith it is more than ten months since he heard that knight was coming here, and marvels that he finds him not. Now trust me, replied the queen. Right glad would I be to see such a knight in the king, my husband's, company. Great aid would he prove to him. And I tell you that if he come, he shall not depart for want of anything that he can ask and the king Luzuate can give. So Gandalin returned to Amadis with his tidings, and after the hour of rest they took their arms and rode to town. They tied their horses in a tuft of trees adjoining the garden and entering through a way made by a watercourse, came to the window, and Gandalin called in a low voice. Odiana, who did not sleep, heard him, and rose, and called Mobilia. For here, said she, is your cousin. My cousin? quoth Mobilia. That indeed he is, but you have a nearer interest in him than all his lineage. Then they both went to the window, and placed candles there, that gave a great light, and opened it. By that light Amadis saw his lady and she appeared more beautiful than man could fancy woman could be. She had on a robe of Indian silk, thickly wrought with flowers of gold. Her hair was so beautiful that it was a wonder, and she had covered it only with a garland. Amadis trembled all over with the great delight of seeing her. There they conversed till daybreak, and Odiana bade him remain with her father, if he should entreat him, and at dawn Amadis returned to the tents. When it was morning, Amadis sent Gandalin into the town, and he remained in the tent with one of the damsels, for the other had gone to the town. Soon she returned in haste upon her palfrey, weeping aloud. Sir knight, said she, the lady for whom you did battle is detained by the king, who will not let her depart till her champion appears. He is wrath with her, thinking that she has concealed you, and he has sent to seek you in all parts. Tell her, said Amadis that if the king will demand of me nothing against my will, I will appear before him to-morrow at the hour of tears. 
With this bidding she returned. The news spread through the palace and the town, and all greatly rejoiced that they should see the good knight who had subdued Dardan. End of chapter 15 Chapter 16 How Amadis Made Himself Known to King Lisuarte and the Other Knights of His Court That day Amadis made cheer with the damsels. The next morning they rode with him to the apartment of the dame, their cousin, who, seeing her champion, knelt to him and said, Sir, all that I possess you have given me. Lady, said he, let us go to the king, that he may discharge you, and I may go my way. Then he took off his helm, and they all went to the palace, and there was a great cry, Here is the knight who conquered Dardan. The king heard it and came out to him and said, Welcome, friend, for you have been greatly desired here. And Amadis knelt down and said, Sir, God give you joy. The king took him by the hand. So help me, God, you are a good knight. That praise Amadis heard thankfully, and he asked if the dame was free, and assured Lizwadi that she knew not till now who had been her champion. And when he saw her at liberty, he requested the king's leave to depart. Ah, friend, said Lizwadi, not so soon, unless you would do me great displeasure. That God forbid, quoth he. I have it rather at heart to do you service, if I were worthy. Then I beseech you remain here, said the king, whereto Amadis assented, but he made no semblance that it pleased him. So the king led him to an apartment, and all the knights of renown who were there came to disarm him. For this was the king who most honoured good knights, and had the greatest number in his house. And Lisuati gave him a robe to cover himself withal, and calling King Arban of North Wales and the Duke of Gloucester, bade them keep company with that knight, for he was a worthy companion for good men. He then went to the queen, and told her how he had in his house the good knight who won the battle. Know you his name? quoth she. Peradventure he is the son of King Pedion, for yon squire who was talking with Mabilia came in search of him. And the king called to Gandaline, Come with me, and see if you know a knight who is in my palace. Gandaline followed him as one who knew what he should do, and as soon as he saw Amadis, he knelt to him and cried, Ah, Sir Amadis, great travail have I endured to find you. Then, replied the knight, Gandaline, my good friend, right heartily art thou welcome. What news from the king of Scotland? Good tidings, sir, of him and of all your friends. With that, Lizuati embraced him. Now, sir, you need no longer conceal yourself, for you are that Amadis, the son of King Perion, who slew in battle the valiant King Abius of Ireland all that approached to gaze at him the more, knowing that he had performed such feats in arms as none other could have achieved. Much honour was there done him all that day, and when night came, King Arban of North Wales lodged him. Lizuata, meantime, took counsel with his wife how he might detain Amadis in his court. Sir, quoth she, it would be an evil report of so great a man as you, if such a knight should leave his house, and had not received all that he asked. He asks me nothing, said Lisuare, for I would grant him anything. I will tell you how it must be. Let someone ask him to remain on your part, and if he will not consent, bid him come see me before he departs, and I and Oriana and his cousin Mabilia will entreat him, for they know him well, ever since he was a child and served them. You say well, said Lisuare, and doubtless he will stay. If not, we may say of him with reason that he hath more lack of courtesy than courage. King Arban of North Wales spoke with Amadis that night, but could obtain no hope of his stay. In the morning they heard mass with the king, and that over, Amadis went to take leave of him. Certes, friend,' said Lisuare, 
I am loath at your departure. Yet for the promise I made must not entreat your stay, but the queen requests to see you before you go. Amadis went to her, and would have kissed her hand. She made him be seated near her, and conversed with him, and Mabilia came and embraced him, as though she had not seen him before. Brisiana called to her daughter, Receive this knight, who served you when he was a child, and shall serve you now he is a knight if he fail not in courtesy. Help me all to persuade him to what I shall ask. Sir knight, the king my husband hath wished you to remain with him, and he could not prevail. Now shall I see if women have more power than men with a knight. I pray you remain and be my knight, and my daughters, and theirs whom you see here. In this shall you show your courtesy, and you will save us from the need of asking the king to give us a knight for our service, since having you we can dispense with all his. Then they all came and besought him, and Oriana made a sign with her looks that he should consent. Well, sir knight, said Brisena, what will you do? What can I do, lady, but remain at your command? who are the noblest queen in the world. I am at your service, and your daughters, and afterward at the service of all these. But I am only yours, and if I shall ever do service to the king, it shall be as your knight, and not as his. As such I receive you, said the queen, thus Amadis, by his lady's command, abode in the house of King Lisuare. Galior, after he had left the Duke of Bristol's castle, where the dwarf had so annoyed him, rode on through the forest of Anita, till the hour of vespers without finding any habitation, or knowing whither he went, and at that time he met a squire on a right goodly steed. Galaior had received a bad wound from one of the three knights who assailed him by the river, and his last night's dalliance had inflamed it. So he saluted the squire and asked him where he could go to be healed. I know a place, said the squire, but such as you dare not go there. Shall I find one there who will cure my wound? You will find those who will give the others. Show me the place. That I may choose. Show me, or I will make thee, quoth Galior, for thou art such a villain that thou deservest all I can do to thee. You can do nothing that shall make me please such a worthless knight. Then Galior laid hand upon his sword. Show me the place, or I will take off thy head. I will show thee, said he, where thou shalt pay for thy folly, and I shall have my revenge. Herewith he rode before, leaving the straight way. Galior followed, and by the time they had ridden the length of a league, they came to a fortress seated in a pleasant valley, brave environed about with trees. Here, quoth the squire, is the place. Now let me go. Galior answered, Go thy way, for I little like thy company. You will like what you find here less, said the squire. Wherewith he turned bridle and away. Then Galior went to the fortress, which he saw was newly edified, and at the gate he saw an armed knight on horseback, and with him five Albertas. And they asked Galior if it was he who brought their squire there against his will. I know not, quoth he, if he be your squire, but he who led me here was the worst varlet that ever I knew. That, said the knight, may be well, but what would you have here? Sir, I am sore wounded, and seek for one to give me help. Enter then, said the knight. Galior went in, and then the halberders attacked him on one side and the knight on the other. He snatched an axe from one and turned to the knight and smote him, so that he had no need of a surgeon. Then fell upon the halberders and slew three of them. The other two fled into the castle, and he was following. But his squire cried out, Take your arms, sir, for I hear a great stir in the castle. This Galior did, and the squire took shield and axe from one of the dead men and said, 
Sir, I will aid you against the villains. But against a knight I must not lift hand, lest I should lose thereby all title to be knighted. If I find the good knight whom I seek, said Galior, that shalt thou soon be. Presently they saw two other knights and ten men on foot, and they heard the squire crying out from one of the windows, Kill him, kill him, but save his horse for me. When Galior heard that, he was greatly enraged, and he fiercely ran to meet the new assailants. Their lances break, but he made him whom he encountered, sure enough from ever bearing arms afterwards. Then, setting hand to sword, advanced himself to the others, and felled him and turned among the halberders. The squire had already slain two. Kill them all, said he. Let not such traitors live. When the squire of the castle saw this, he ran up a ladder into a high tower, exclaiming, Arm yourself, sir, unless you mean to be slain. Then Galior dismounted, because he could not ride through the portal, and went towards the tower. But before he reached it, there came out a knight, all armed, and his horse was brought him. But Galior caught the bridle, and said, Knight, thou shalt not mount, for I distrust thee. Is it you, quoth the knight, who have slain my nephews and my people? I know not whom you ask for, but this I can assure ye. How I found here the most disloyal and bad-minded people that ever I dealt withal. They whom thou hast slain were better than thou art, and dearly shalt thou pay for them. Then afoot as they were, they began a cruel battle for the knight of the castle was a right good knight and a strong. Yet in the end he could not endure the heavy and hard blows of Galior, and flying from him under a portal, he thought to leap from a window to the gallery. But with the weight of his arms he fell short, and falling a great depth upon stones he was dashed to pieces. When Galior saw this he turned away, cursing the castle and its dwellers. But then he heard a voice from one of the rooms saying, Ah, my lord, for mercy, leave me not here. Open the door, then, quoth he. I cannot, sir, I am chained. He then placed foot against the door so strongly that it flew open, and entering he found a fair lady chained by the neck. She asked him what was become of the lord of the castle and his company, and when she heard how they were all dead, and how they set upon Galior, who came to have his wound healed, she said, Release me, and I will heal the wound. Presently he broke the chain, and she took two little boxes from a coffer, and other things for his wounds, and they departed from the castle. In the gateway Galior found the first knight whom he had smote down, who was yet breathing and struggling. He trampled him under his horse's feet, and then rode away. That night they lodged in a forest in the tent of some hunters whom they found. The damsel was a fair damsel, and what passed between them is not to be written. She told him that she was the daughter of Telois the Fleming, to whom King Luzuare had given the country of Clara, and of a lady who was his lemon the lord of that castle had seized her because she would not accept of him for a husband. "'Where shall I conduct you?' said Galior, "'for I have far to travel. "'To the monastery where my mother dwells.' So she guided Galior there, and right gladly was he welcomed, and the more when they heard what feats of arms he had wrought. And there, at the request of the ladies of the convent, Galior remained. End of chapters 14, 15, and 16